Hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 46. You can follow along in your own Bibles or on the screen. Psalm 46. For the choir director, a song of the descendants of Korah to be sung by soprano voices. God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. A river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. God dwells in that city. It cannot be destroyed. From the very break of day, God will protect it. The nations are in chaos and their, cr and their kingdoms crumble. God's voice thunders and the earth melts. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Come, see the glorious works of the Lord. See how he brings destruction upon the world. He causes wars to end throughout the earth. He breaks the bow and snaps the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. The Lord of heaven's armies are here, is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. This is the word of the Lord. We've been in a series in the book of Psalms. And during that time, we've been blessed and privileged to have people come and share their testimonies with us. And this is the beautiful thing about our church is that we are a myriad of voices brought together to study the word together, to dive in and live in community together. Um, last week, the Busasa family shared their testimony with us, and it was a moving and wonderful testimony. Today, Ryan's going to share with us. So if you guys would, uh, one of the things I want you guys to be aware of as we hear these testimonies is that you're aware of the fact that every one of us has a story. And that's a beautiful thing. And, you know, um, and one of these realities of us each having a story, God uses it uniquely. Your story is uniquely yours. And it's beautiful and it's incredible. And God gave you that story. And he's weaving it for his purposes. So that your story weaved together with all these other stories created this incredible, beautiful story that God's calling his redemptive plan. So um, we're going to welcome Ryan really quickly as he comes up and shares his story. Lauren probably speaks so well, and then I have to follow that, right? So no pressure, okay? Um, so first off, when Lawrence and I talked about this, uh, my first thoughts were, I've watched Danny, Lawrence, and Josh speak up here, and I'm like, that's not me. Like, there's no way I can stand up here and speak in front of everybody. I then, I listened to a sermon, actually, last week, as I was doing all this, and this has been in the plans for months, and this sermon came last week. Um, they spoke on Revelations 12:11, and that reads, and they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb, and by their testimony, and they, and they do not live, they do not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. First and foremost, we come to victory only through the blood of the Lamb that tells us we are saved by Christ and his sacrifice. Second, though, we are to continue in this victory by sharing our testimony. That is the sharing of what God has done in our lives through Jesus. God always gives us tests when we, we, are, we have been in, are in, or heading into one. What we must remember is this test is not for us to fail. 
The teacher gives you a test to help you learn and grow. These tests put us in a situation where we must decide to trust in God and make him our refuge. Then will you share your testimony? It does not have to be a grand story, but will you be honest to who you were before, or will you forget or pretend to forget what test brought you to Christ? Will you share with people that the, the last thing God has done for you, not just, pe not just telling people what you're waiting for God to do for you? So I've come here to share my testimony with you, and I pray that God uses me as a way for him to reach you today. So first off, I'm going to have a picture pop up. Yep, there. So that is my beautiful wife, uh, Chelsea. That is my five-year-old Roman. And this is a now two-year-old Rory up there on December 1st. I'm very thankful that my kids look like my wife and not me. So we all appreciate that. You've probably heard that before from me. All right, so I'm gonna start now. I'm gonna tell you now, this is a very emotional story, so I'll try to get through it, but bear with me on if any tears run or if I have to hold up. So let me begin by letting you know that I'm a very open person who loves to talk, and I hold very little back. So what I'm about to share with you is who I, who I was before I found Christ and what happened to me when I finally turned to Christ in my time of loneliness. So I was born in South Bend, Indiana, and yes, Notre Dame did win yesterday. My dad left me before I was two. I could never do anything right in school. As I grew older, I was always looking for approval for what I did. I wanted to be known and loved, but I would always think who would accept someone that their father didn't even want. So I kept looking, but no matter what I brought or who I hung out with or how many girls I dated, I was always missing something. There would be times I would try to go to church, but I would never open my heart. I would sit in the back and say, yeah, God's not looking for me. I'm a sinner who no one wants. So as my family wrote me off for the, as the troubled one that could never stay on the right path, I turned to partying and going out to have good times, always being the one to pick up the check so that I was known and would have a purpose, still not finding fulfillment in that. For a long time, many ups and downs, I continued to struggle. Then at 29, I started dating my wife. She was a strong Christian and I was convinced myself that because I went to Catholic Church, I was also a strong, you know, I understood it, I knew it. So that was the same thing, right? So I was lying to her and I was lying to me. I was fooling both of us because I wanted her to be, I wanted to be with her. Because there was no God in me, it caused me to continue to feel empty. Even though I had the woman that I always wanted, a home to stand, and a job that was filled, that paid all the bills. The emptiness caused me to fail as a husband in small and large ways. Sorry, guys, I warned you. Um, so, yeah, I'm I always had a reason to not go to church. I was always busy doing other things, not putting in time with my wife. I was so desperate to fill the void that I thought my marriage would feel. I even got on Facebook talking in ways I shouldn't have. I, I, wanted, I loved my family very much, but I did not know how to be a godly man or husband. After years of hiding my fears, like an earthquake, they came up, shaking the untrue structure of my marriage down. Then one day, my wife finally looked at me and said, you were not the man you said you were, and that she could not put herself or my kid through this anymore. I had gotten to a point in my life where my lack of God and faith had caused me to all but end my marriage, and one of my greatest fears was to be the father that was not there for my kids like mine. Out of desperation, I started to go, go into church so that maybe my wife would see I'm trying to do better. Why we end up in God's house does not matter. It's just that we're there. 
After a few weeks, the pastor, ending his preaching like he always did, asked if anyone did not know Christ to raise their hand. Now everyone's heads were bowed in prayer, and I raised my hand. Only the pastor and God knew I did. With my hand up, a story of a young girl I had heard many times ran through my head. I'm going to share this story now. She was five years old, played, laughed, and loved life. Then almost suddenly, she had headaches. After complaining to her parents, after complaining to her parents about her pains, they took her to see the doctor. On the drive home, her mom received a call. She was told to go to Pittsburgh Hospital. Her answer was, okay, I'll make an appointment next week. The doctor said, no, you have to go right now. Your daughter has a brain tumor. Fear set in as she made calls to have her other kids watched, and she took to the road. And what felt like seconds, this girl was on her way to emergency surgery. After what I am sure felt like a lifetime, the doctors came out and said the tumors had been removed. Now this little girl had, re had to relearn everything. She no longer had the strength to walk, feed herself, or hold her head up. She lost the use of her right side for many months so that she had to learn to do everything left-handed. All of it was worth it though because God had a plan and she was alive. Now this alone is a wonderful story of God's grace to this family, but this was not the end of this girl's story. So every few months she had to go get another scan done just to confirm there was no returning tumors. They told her family that after five years she'd be clear. I can't imagine going to scan after scan to hear if anything had returned. But her mother would go in with this little girl while she had to sit still for an hour and not move and just pray and pray, holding her hand. Now five years and four months later, they were used to the scan routine. I'm sure at this point they didn't even stress it like before. I mean, they're past the five-year mark. That is when the call came again. A tumor was found. Now living in North Carolina, they were at Duke and back they went for a second surgery, this time with a scared 10-year-old girl. After hours of praying and waiting, the doctor came out to say they could not remove the tumor. This time it had wrapped around her brainstem. Everyone I'm sure was in shock. Now, I don't know about you, but my reaction would be, why me, why God, what did my family do? This family prayed, and not just this family, but church after church after church all prayed, all turning to God for refuge. Now the doctor said next was gonna be chemo. So this little girl was sent to come back in a short time to start that plan. She wanted, so in the meantime, she joined Make-A-Wish. She wanted to meet the president, but he was, he was unavailable at the time, so her second wish, of course, was to meet the Disney princesses. <laughs> so while all of this is going on, people kept praying. Now, a few months later, this brave 11-year-old and her parents walked into the hospital to decide what the next step was going to be. First a scan to see the growth, then a plan. After the scan, the doctor asked to speak to her parents alone. Now, this girl is not five anymore. She knows that they are talking about her future. The thoughts of losing her hair, the weakness radiation can cause, and, how, and who knows what else this 11-year-old girl could now come up with. You see, though, it it, it, you see, through it all, God has a plan. No matter how bad it is, he is working. This little girl is called into her office with her parents. Her par now, I'm sure, I didn't even know this family at the time, but I can imagine the tears running down their parents' face as they, and I'm sure they hugged their little girls, they told the doctor, the doctor cannot explain it, but the tumor is gone. The little girl will have struggles with headaches and weakness and sleeping, but she is healed from what should have killed her. 
Now, the doctor may not be able to explain this, but I know the answer when we see, I know the answer. When we seek God's refuge through prayer, our life can be changed. Now, this is a great story, but why did this story come to me with my hand in the air? Because of this little girl being so brave, she brought me to Christ, which in return put me in front of you. As I shared with you, I was nothing but a sinner, and even if I could be forgiven, my sins, the pain, the, my, the, the pain my sins have caused would never be healed in my mind. Who was I to this world? Then I thought, wait, God can cure and take a tumor that should kill. He made it as if it never happened. When, he, when we seek him, he does not just forgive us, but he heals us. Now I think of Jesus on a cross, looking at these men, nailing him to it, and yet he is able to forgive them why they are killing him. Able to forgive a sinner on a cross next to him just because he asked Christ to remember him. Dying so that all we have to do is believe in him and we are not only forgiven, but in his time, the hurt we have created is healed. I truly listened to this story this time. I thought, if God is this great, how easy it must be for this loving God to say, Ryan, I can defeat death with my, in my resurrection. I can continue to beat death by removing tumors that man has said cannot be removed. I do this... I do this so that you can see who I am and have eternal life in, with me. Now that long story ran through my head while, I, while we were pray, while we prayed, but then the pastor did something he had never done before. He asked if anyone who, who had their hand up would like to come forward and accept Christ. That's when my eyes opened up. Yes, my dad left me. Yes, my friends and past relationships all fell to the side. My family had lost faith in me. My teachers wrote me off, but you know who never did? God. Every struggle I had, large or small, there he was protecting me, whispering to me, just trust and come to me. I will fight your battles and I will be your refuge. Yet every time I turned away from him, he never gave up. He just patiently waited and continued to whisper until the day I heard. I knew the pastor and God were calling me. So with my oldest son in my arms, I walked up in front of all the people who knew I had a failing marriage, who knew I was a sinner. I stood there with God's strength as Christ entered my heart. That day I could feel the celebration inside. People who were not believers would walk up to me after that and say, I don't know what it is, but something's different about you. My answer was always simple and to the point, God. How great is a God who not only forgives, but heals your sins. Makes it so that you can stand in front of many and speak about him because your past sins are healed and you are made new. So for Christians, I want this story to open your eyes to what this truly means. Ask yourself how unbelievable your father is. Now ask yourself, why, if my God is so great, am I not trying to, trying to find a way to allow him to work through me every day? Why am I not sharing this with everyone? If you had an unending supply of water, would you not share, the, share it with those who are dying of thirst? Yet all of us have this in the Bibles because of Christ. We can share the gift of everlasting life through, the, through sharing the gospel found in the Bible. So I challenge you, speak the gospel. Don't let fear hold you back. And, and when you have fear, like this family and young girl, pray. Ask God to speak through you so that he can bring others to Christ, just like this girl did for me. Now, for you that do not know Christ, I truly believe this girl was sent through this so today her story can open your hearts to let Christ in so that you can see Christ is real. And if you accept him, it won't be easy, but he will lead you to a life worth living, no matter what pain you have or what you are going through, no matter if you feel alone like I did, or if you were a sinner like I am. God is waiting right behind you. The plan may not be the easy way or the way we want it, but it will be his plan. And you will see, you will soon see his, his is the best plan. Just ask this girl and her family. Now, every time I tell this story, I cry, even when I wrote it. And I'm going to do it again. 
Why does this little girl with a great story mean so much to me? Because the beautiful, sweet woman I call my wife is this little girl. I know she suffered, not only for her family to have a strong faith, but so that 11 years later she would meet a man who is truly not worthy of her time, but who needed to find Christ more than ever. And she would have plenty of strength and faith to help him after what she went through. Because there are two wonderful little boys I know are going to change the world because of this. If you ever have a question what God can do, just look for my two crazy boys. And remember, the only reason they are here is because of prayer and God's grace. Know that a man who was on the edge of losing it all, no God in his heart, found refuge in God and is now in front of a church sharing his story. I thank God every day because without his plan, I would not be saved, I would be most likely divorced, and my boys would not be here. So I finish my story with this. There are moments in your life when God speaks right to you. Is this one of those moments? My wife was strong enough to take up her cross so that she could impact my life before she ever met me. Christ took, took on our sins before you were ever born. Don't let this moment pass over you. No matter if you believed in him before or want more answers about him, embrace it and look to Christ and the Gospels for the answers. beautiful thing about being family together is that the victories one of us experiences is our victories. Amen? I love that. I love the stories because when I hear your story, that's, to me, I get to celebrate your story, but I also get to celebrate that's my story too because we're our story, family story, together it's a beautiful story. I just said story a lot. And Nathan, that's story driven, is very happy with that. <laughs> but it's true. It's so powerful. When we get together as a family and we share, like I, I remember growing up when we got together at a family meal and we always share, what, what happened today? What's going on? You know, if my sister made straight A's, my parents were so much happier. And I was like, yeah, I should be doing that too, but okay. <laughs> but when I had good news, we all celebrated together. And I love that. As a family, we get to celebrate together. We get to lament together. That means we weep together. We also praise together. The whole book of Psalms, this is where we've been, right? We've, we've been learning through this book of Psalms that we get to dance and we get to cry. That we need to do both. The cool thing is we get to do it both together. So there are times, guys, when I'm telling you that you need to just cry with each other. And it's okay and it's good. You need to just look to somebody here in your church family and say, guys, I just need to cry. I'm lamenting. I am sickened in my heart over something. I'm hurting. And there are times when you're like, dance? Dan oh, yeah, we should dance. And I love that about the book of Psalms. That's what it's teaching us. As we've been in the book of Psalms, we're now at this place where we look at Psalms, and one of the major themes that we see over and over again is this idea of God is our refuge. He's our safe place. He's our hiding place. Did you ever have a hiding place, a safe place when you were a kid? 
a, a place where you can just kind of get away from everything and just kind of like chillax somewhere. You know, if your world is crazy. You know, if that little maybe closet or something like that that you had at your house that you had. Growing up, we had a very small apartment. And so I didn't really have like a, a legit hiding place. But I remember when I was scared or just kind of needed to get away from my family, the best thing I had was a blanket. But it worked. So I just go to my bed, throw that blanket over me, and I'm like, I'm gone. It's like magic. My blanket was magic. Blankets are magical, guys, let me tell you. They were like teleportation devices, hiding places, monster blockers, and they keep you warm. Blankets are incredible. I love them. I mean, they're so amazing. Seriously, my blanket helped me out so much in my life. I can go to my, my fantasy world, boom, blanket on. Now I'm like fighting dragons, and it's awesome. Or, ooh, I'm scared of a monster. Blanket on, monster can't get to this blanket. I don't know what it was about the blanket, but I was safe now. You know what I'm saying? Or I need to hide somewhere, blanket on, you can't see me. I loved it, blankets were incredible. This is my whole life growing up. I loved the blanket and it kept you warm, right? My people, hear me well when I say this. Do you ever feel like you need a blankie? I know, it sounds cheesy. A little blankie. And on a cold day like today, a warm blanket and a nap sounds heavenly. <laughs> Don't fall asleep yet, okay? Just stay with me a little bit longer. <laughs> Hang on for a little bit more, but get this. Do you ever feel like you need a hiding place? Do you ever feel like you need a monster blocker? Do you ever feel like you need a teleportation device? Do you look around at the troubles you face, the stresses you're going through? Do you ever look around the mess in the world? Do you ever look around at how the terrible stuff and suffering that you see, and you're kind of like, man, this world is hard. It is difficult. I need a safe place. I need something. I need a monster blocker. I need a teleportation device. I need a, I need, I need a hiding place. I need a blankie. You know, if I did the new Lawrence translation, NLT, of a new NLT, and I said new living, it'd be new Lawrence translation. This would say, our God is a blanket. He's our blankie. Because for me, the idea of refuge and fortress and those kind of words like, don't mean that much to me. I haven't fought in a war. Right? So to me, like, not having fought in a war, the ideas of safe places and fortresses it, it kind of theoretically makes sense, but doesn't practically for me make sense. But for me, a blankie makes sense. The psalmist cries out and confesses, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when the earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. In verse, first two waves, you see in verse Psalm 46, we see two waves. In verses one through three, creation itself is an upheaval. The picture in verses one through three is literally of great storms, earthquakes, tsunamis, mountains crumbling down to the earth. In other words, it's a devastating picture. It's a picture actually of creation in reverse. You know, instead of orderliness, or chaos, out of chaos comes orderliness, from orderliness comes chaos. This is a separation of the boundaries and being violated and, and the foundations of the earth, the very foundations like the mountains being shaken. This is creation in reverse. This is the opposite of what God did in creation. And the psalmist is basically saying this, even if the world itself falls apart, even if the worst of all disasters happen, even if creation itself becomes unraveled, my hope is in the one who created in the first place. My refuge and my help is found in him. 
This idea of refuge is my safe place. This idea of refuge is even when everything else is bad going on, everything else is so much more powerful than I can even comprehend, I have a more powerful entity. I have a more powerful God. I have a more powerful creator. So let creation itself get unwritten. He is still more powerful. So he's picturing, in the most extreme cases, troubles that can come that you have no control over. Right? This is not man-made troubles. This is natural disaster type troubles. This is the type of trouble when you have in your life when the hurricane came. I'm from Panama City, that's my hometown. And I never thought there would be a correlate. Like, I never felt that much like my hometown, like some people do, you know? Like, never really felt that connection until I saw the devastation of the hurricane. And I looked at places where like, I ate there all the time. That was my go-to spot after school and it all destroyed. And I talked to my aunts and my friends and they, all their houses are gone. And I look at pictures and I think, wow. Look what devastation, look how the people there were so devastated through a storm that happened just like that. And this is what the psalmist is saying, that devastation can happen, and it does happen, but even when that happens, I still have a safe place that's not dependent upon anything else. Then he talks about the second wave, verses four through seven. You see the picture of kind of this idea of troubles that come from the form of other nations. But before we get to that, it has this, a scene of chaos and uproar in verses one through three, but there's a change of mood and scenery. Kind of this idea of, there's a picture of order and uh, of orderliness and stillness. From the roar of big waves and the kind of the wind and the shaking and the erupting of mountains, we see kind of this nice scene of the city of God. You see, the city of God is peaceful. It's rejoicing because of its peace, security, and prosperity. There's a river, like an irrigation system, flowing throughout the city, providing all that is needed. And this river is a beautiful image because out of the river comes life. Guys, I want you to understand this is an agrarian society. So water was life. So this image of water saying basically there is a dwelling, there's a presence in this city that not only provides safety, not only provides refuge, but it provides life. Guys, I want you to understand when we say God is our refuge, he doesn't mean that he's just our safe place. He's our safe place and also a place of abundant life. Do you hear that? It's not just, oh, he's a mighty fortress. When I think of a fortress, I think of like incredible towers and thick walls with like arrows. I don't think of comfort. I don't think of lavishness. I don't think of, of a place where it's abundant living. I think of scarce living. But in reality, the city of God is overflowing with abundance. Plants and animal life. And this is the picture that we get in the midst of this, is this, this city of God. And, and who's there? The very presence of God is there. God is in the fortress. He is the fortress. He's in the midst. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. In the Old Testament, the city of God, the holy mountain, and Mount Zion all refer to Jerusalem and his temple. Psalm 48, 1 through 2 says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. <clears throat> Although Jerusalem itself didn't have this river uh, kind of running through it, only a small stream actually, this is a symbolic river that actually goes through, it starts out of the, the book of Genesis in the Garden of Eden where it had these beautiful rivers that flowed out of paradise. And it's this very idea that where the very dwelling place of God is, there is abundant life and fortress. Now, I want you to hear that very well. Hear this very well. It's a very dwelling place. This is not an actual, like, the image is just, there's Jerusalem, which kind of was representative of the city of God. 
But there is an actual city of God. I want you to hear this very well. This is going to be kind of confusing for some of you guys, but I want you to get this. That you, right now, are the very dwelling place of God. See, through the work of Jesus, what he did on the cross was that he made it possible that the very dwelling place of God no longer came in the form of dwelling in a temple, but instead came to you through the Holy Spirit. So you now, as a dwelling place of God, have inside of you the fortress and the abundant life that comes from having a relationship with God, where his dwelling place is now with you. I'll explain a little bit later what that looks like and what that means. In contrast to the city of God, we have the city of man. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice and the earth melts. This is in contrast to the, the well-provided city. This is more of a, the, the context of the chaos of the nations raging all around. And we see that now, don't we? We probably now live in a more peaceful time than other periods in the history of the world. And even still, we see the nations raging, don't we? Even now, we see the results of mass war in other countries. We see the results of man's schemes and man's wiles. Psalm 2, 1 and 3 rings true for us as in the past. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against his anointed. But Psalm 2 also says, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. That he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Psalm 46 addresses, after addressing the problems that can come arise from nature, then also the problems that come from man's declaration of his own power and the nations raging together, comes to this most often quoted piece of scripture. You guys know what I'm talking about? Psalm 46. Was what, out of that psalm that you had, what was the most common quoted part of that scripture? Anybody? Say that again. Be still and know that I am God. Have you guys heard that before? Right? People who probably don't even go to church too often hear that one, right? Be still. It sounds really good. What does that mean? What does it mean to be still and know that I am God? I will be honored by every nation. I'll be honored throughout the world. Can I tell you this? It means confidence. It means sit under the blanket. It means relax because you have God as your refuge and the Lord of angel armies is on your side. Guys, here's what I want you to get. In the context of the scripture, he's literally saying that he's destroying other people's armies. He's literally saying that there's people with swords and spears and bows, and God's like, boom, and all the swords and spears are being destroyed. That was my interpretation of God doing that. That was pretty impressive, I know. And what's literally happening is in this context, saying God is so much more powerful than all the schemes of man, all the schemes of all the nations, all the kings and rulers of all the armies in all the world. He's so much more powerful. Then he's saying, now you be still. You be still and you can be still because he's so much more powerful. You can be still because someone who's stronger is on your side. Someone who has all the armies in the world has got your back. You can be still. When I was a kid, there was a little park behind a church in my neighborhood. And I would shoot hoops all day. That's what I did. That was like, it was back in the day when you kids could just go outside and just run around and be outside all day. Nobody cared, right? So my mom and dad would be at work all day and I would just go play basketball all day by myself, just shoot literally all day. 
And the route to get there, there was just through this lot, like this big lot of like forest and woods. It probably was only just like a small little area, but back then to me, felt like, like the, the eeriest forest of all time. And you had to cut through it. So when I played hoops, I would shoot hoops all day, but as soon as it got a little dark, I was like, oh man, I gotta go home. And knowing that I had to go through this like kind of wooded area at night was the scariest thing in the world. So I, I would never stay out too late. So I would always go play hoops, but as soon as it got a little dark, even close to sunset, I'm like, man, I better run home. So I'd book it home because this, this wooded area was so scary. I mean, we're talking like, there had to have been like 55 monsters. I don't know why I said 55. <laughs> but everything bad imaginable happened in that little wooded area. So one day, I was so happy, my dad had a day off of work, and he was like, I'll go shoot hoops with you. And I said, sweet. So my dad and I were shooting hoops, and we're having a great time. And then all of a sudden, I lost track of time and realized it's getting dark. You know, and I was like, oh no, dad, it's getting dark, we gotta go. And he's like, why? And then I was like, oh, I'm with my dad. I don't have to be afraid. Okay, so as we're shooting hoops, it got a little dark, and then we start walking back, and we get to the area, and if, when I would go, even when it was light outside, it was still scary, and I would always like, as soon as I got to the wooded area, I'd just book it. See how fast I can, I was like running as fast as I can through that wooded area, because it was so scary. But when we got to this wooded area, I didn't have to book it. I was like, all right, just kind of walking, like it was nothing. I was like, I got this. My dad was with me, we were walking, and I wasn't scared at all, maybe a little bit, but not really. We walked slow, took our time, didn't run at all. I wasn't like looking around. I just was like, okay, I can handle this walk now. Why? Because I knew my dad was with me. I knew I had my father's, I don't know, my dad's like five, three and a half <laughs> and like 145 pounds. I kid you not, he is. I mean, this is a real measurement for my dad. He's a tiny man. But at the time, there was nobody bigger. Nobody bigger. And I knew my dad's got me. And so as my dad was taking me, as we were walking, I was like, I could care less. That, those woods are not scary. My dad's with me. Are you kidding me? Guys, can I tell you right now, we can look at this world and we see things that look so scary. And you look at your future and it looks so scary. You think about retirement and it looks so scary. You think about kids' college and it looks so scary. You think about your kids. They look scary. <laughs> you look at the prospect of being unemployed and it looks so scary. Of losing the one you love, facing cancer. There's so much in this world that we can look at and it seems so scary, but can I tell you something? That the one who wrote the universe into being, the one who created and made it all good and orderliness, when he, that one is on your side. That one is with you and he is your refuge, he is your safe place, and he is the Lord of heaven's armies. There is no one more powerful, nothing can compare. He laughs in the face of nations raging together. He is enthroned above and he will never ever not be enthroned above. And he's with you. He's with you. He's with you through the work of Jesus. And it's absolutely incredible so that when you have him with you, as you face the dark woods of life in front of you, you can say, okay, I got this. Not because of your own power, not because you're so powerful, but because the Lord of Heaven's army is. And as you walk forward, you face to face with every single circumstance as you go forward in it, you realize he's so much bigger. You can walk it, you can face it. He is your refuge, he is your safe place, he is your blankie. 
Because I love the idea about blanket. Can I tell you, here's the thing about refuge and safe places. It often feels like you have to go to them, right? So like some people think, oh, God's my refuge, then that means I better be at church, and only at church can I feel safe. That is not true, people. I like you here. It's nice to have you here. It's good to be here. It's good to worship together with the family of God. But can I tell you this? Him being your refuge is not dependent upon you being here. Because of the work of Jesus, here's what happened. And I want you to not miss this. Here's the amazing thing about what Jesus did. See, in our nature, by our lives, our actions, our thoughts, and our deeds, we are sinful. Ryan said it over and over again. He says, I'm a sinner. He's just real. He's real with himself. I always say this, and you guys have heard me say this, and those of you guys playing Waypoint Bingo, you guys can put this down as well. But I believe the human condition is three things, that we want to be known, we want to be loved, and we crave purpose. But the problem is, in our desire to be known, we realize that if people really know us, if, if I let myself even know myself, that I judge myself, and I'm pretty bad. Deep down, I wear so many masks, I put on so many disguises, that if you even knew me, I can't even let my wife know me, really. And the problem is we want to be truly known. We want to be known for all of it, but we realize that if we really are known for all our sin, all our flaws, all our issues, that we think to ourselves, can I truly be loved? Because I question that. I don't know if I can. I don't think I can. There's no way my wife can really love me for all my issues because I have so many of them. And so we have this issue of I want to be known fully, completely. I want to be known. Something inside of me craves that. But we also have this issue of, but I also want to be loved totally for all of me, for all that I have, all my issues. I still want to be, I don't want to have to hide it. I don't want to have to become something else. I just want to be known and I want to be loved. I believe that's the human condition. But what happens is that in Jesus, Jesus comes so that, yes, he says, I know you. I know the amount of hairs on your head. I've known you since your womb. I created you. I know you. I know all your sin, all your flaws, all your mess ups. And get this, in the midst of knowing all of that, I still love you. And not only do I love you, that my love for you is going to put you in right relationship with the God that you were meant to be. Because the thing that we were most made for is a desire to be in relationship with the God who made us, a God of justice and beauty, because our souls crave justice and beauty. But the problem is, once again, that we know we don't belong with justice when we're so sinful. We know that in justice, there is justice out there, and we know there's true justice and true beauty, but those of us who are marred by sin and full of our own issues know that they, don't go, they can't coexist. Righteousness and justice cannot coexist with this Sin, they can't let it abide because if it doesn't, it would no longer be just. So then Jesus provided the means, provided the answer and saying, I came, he came to live the perfect life of law, fulfill all that it was to fulfill, be perfectly fulfilled the law of God and then die upon the cross so that the God of justice is also equally the God of mercy. So that fully now can we be known, but we can also be fully accepted and loved by the God of justice. But that he does something absolutely incredible. Jesus, when he was resurrected, literally leaves and says, I'm going to leave behind my Holy Spirit for you. Because he gives you purpose. He's called you to a mission. He's called you to be a part of a world that's remaking the world. 
He's called you to be part of a team that's remaking the world because all the issues in the world right now, all the issues in the world as we see it, he's saying, I want you to be a part of my team that makes the world right again. You see it, don't you? You see the issues in the world, you see the hatred all over, you see the issues that we see, and now he says, be a part of that team that's known, that's loved, and now make the world right. So he gives us the Holy Spirit. He empowers us with the Holy Spirit so we can be part of that mission. And in that power of the Holy Spirit, that is what we have because we have the Holy Spirit with us, within us. We are the very dwelling place of God. And because we're the dwelling place of God, the very refuge of God is within us. Do you hear that? See how that came back together? We now are the very dwelling place of God. So he now gives us life, life abundantly. He gives us the very means of refuge. Do you guys know that the Lord of heaven's armies is in you? What do you have to be afraid of? What is there to fear? What is it that can do anything? Let the mountains crumble to the ground. Let the waves crash over our heads. Let the, the scheme of man go whatever they want. The Lord of heaven's army is in you. You are now known. You are loved. You have eternity with him. You have purpose for those of you who accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That is who you are. That is your identity. What is there to be afraid of? The Lord is my refuge. I shall not be afraid so that we can now be still and know that he is God. Here's what I want us to do. We're going to pray, and as, I, as we pray, I, I'm going to go ahead and ask the band to come and make their way up here. But here's the invitation to you. Ryan invited you to this. By the sharing of his testimony and his story, he invited you to to know the Lord in this way. To say yes to the free gift that Jesus is offering to you. To be, know him as a refuge, to know him as your protector, to know him as a lover of your soul. He said, guys, I want you to know this, that to know him as the answer to the human condition. That you can be known and you can be loved and you can have purpose. So here's what we all want us to do. During our last worship set, the invitation is this, that if you have a desire to know the Lord in this way, if you have a question, if something's knocking on your heart, something's tugging at you, something's saying, you need to seek this out, that I encourage you, I beg of you, I plead with you, go and talk to one of these people wearing the lanyards, these yellow lanyards. They're there to pray for you. They're there to talk to you. During this last worship set, I encourage you to stand and to go. I want you to know that some of you might be thinking, Lawrence, I want you to hear this. I heard Ryan's story, but Ryan wasn't even as bad as I was. I am. I want you to know this, that Lawrence, you think you, he ran far away from God. Let me tell you, I ran even further away from God. As a matter of fact, I, I got in my car and I took off away from God. I didn't run away from God. I got in a plane and I flew away from God. I am so far away from God, you have no idea. He will never take me back. Can I tell you this? For every step that you think you took away from God, he's been chasing after you every step. And you're thinking, oh man, I flew, I ran so far away that he's so far away, I can never go back there. May I tell you right now, he's right behind you. Can I tell you that? that he, you're not too far away. Don't doubt his power. He's been chasing. 
And some of you might be thinking, you don't understand, man. There's no forgiveness for some of the stuff I've done. Let me tell you some of the stuff that people in the Bible have done and they've been forgiven for. Adultery, murder. Some of you are like, well, I've done worse. Oh, okay, wow, wow, I'm just saying. Let me tell you this right now. There's nothing, nothing that can separate you from his love. There's no power in heaven or hell that's more powerful than the, the Lord of heaven's armies. And he can reach through and past whatever it is that you think you've done. Because here's the deal, here's the amazing thing. It's never been for us who are believers and followers of Jesus, it's never been about anything that we did on our own merit. Nothing that we did that we earned because we were good enough, because we prayed enough, because we went to church enough, we dressed right. It's always been all of what Jesus did. So you think, oh, I've done so much bad. No, it's, you're putting it back on yourself. It's not about what you've done bad. It's not about what you've done good. It's about that Jesus did. He died upon the cross for you. He did it all for you. It's all about what he did. Now accept what he did. So I encourage you to accept what he did. So let's pray together. And if God's moving in your heart, I invite you to go seek out one of these people in these lanyards and pray with them. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your mighty work. We thank you that you are calling the, the lost to yourself. We thank you for amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. Thank you that you are a refuge, our ever-present help in times of need. God, you are a blanket. You're our monster blocker. You're our teleportation device. God, you're our hiding place. God, you are a refuge. So thank you, God. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.